Welcome back to How to Travel in a Journey with Alexandra. Today's show will review the best interviews by people that came to the show to introduce their book, talk about the story of how that book came to life and hopefully a book that might show up on your shopping list someday soon. So lean back for the next 20 minutes and listen to the jewels of all these interviews happened in 2020. Meet Annika Lindberg and Anning Om Yoga. You also, what came into your life was that you felt you wanted to write a book. Can you talk a little bit about that project um, that has, where it started off, for example, where, how did you yeah. come to that idea? Yes. <laughs> Uh, I started a blog uh, that said uh, in Swedish that where I started to write about my yoga journey and um, I started I didn't start the blog when I when I started the yoga but I, I had to start the blog when I felt so alone yeah. uh, in my practice yeah. and uh, I felt like all my best yoga friends were abroad uh, they were not here and uh, my teachers doesn't live in my country. So uh, I felt like I needed some kind of a connection with the other souls. So I started it and I wrote it for uh, almost every day for 10 years. And then I felt like, this is enough, I'm done here. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was a, a very good time because I got a lot of friends virtually in different countries, a couple of friends in Finland, and uh, it felt really nice to share our thoughts about the struggle, because I was so surprised over the struggle for me. It felt like if I look into a paper about yoga, or uh, not, the, not the deep yoga books uh, about uh, asanas and theory and uh, all that history, but uh, it was all glamour. It was yeah. like, yeah, you should be very thin, you should be very flexible, you should be very blonde. Uh, <laughs> Which you, know, you were at the time. <laughs> very, very white. Yeah. yeah, it was just one, one small piece of humans that were showing off. And I, didn't, uh, I couldn't uh, recognize anything for myself in that. So... Um, the, the blog had uh, a Swedish name, Enorning om Yoga, and it's difficult to translate it to English, but it says like a, a sense of yoga, mm -hmm. uh, because I felt like this is a big ocean, and I have just dived in somewhere, and uh, I have to, to swim further. And um, some of my readers just uh, encouraged me to write a book. Oh. So that's where it came from. Uh, mm -hmm. And I always like to write. Yeah. So, uh, I ended up writing the book and uh, publishing it myself and selling it and uh, got a lot of uh, PR, can you say? Yeah. And, uh, I was in the radio and um, interviewing, people were interviewing on different places. Yeah. And uh, I got a lot of nice feedback from my readers. Yeah. And the book, it's all about... Uh, me trying to bow my head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Uh, can you tell uh, your favorite part of the book or like, you know, or what has resonated if you don't have a favorite part, if somebody said, or if people come back to you about maybe you can share a tiny story, at least for, so we get a sense of what you're writing about. Yeah, it was like kind of my everyday life uh, to get up in the morning and get myself on my mat. And it hasn't always been natural for me to do that. Uh, I remember once I was lying in my bed for one hour mm. trying to talk myself out on the floor mm. until I finally did it. Yeah. And uh, I realized more and more that my center is uh, in my lower belly. Mm. Uh, that's where I, I um, have my breathing from. But uh, once we were all out... Uh, in the car, my husband and I, we had been uh, visiting some friends and it was getting dark and uh, he suddenly, it, it jumped out an, an animal on the road and I got so afraid, but I didn't get afraid up here as I usually was. It was more like the feeling was in my lower, lower belly yeah. and it was like spreading out like a net and I felt like, wow, I'm really in my center. And I never felt that before. And it was like those small situations in, in every person's life that showed me that uh, I'm into something else now. And it takes time. And my, my teacher always says, you have to be persistent and you have to trust the process. Mm. And that's what I really learned. Mm, the more yeah. I trust the things I do and um, the more I get what I need. Welcome to Sonia Radvila, a young yogi and the mind monsters story. It's funny when you kind of brought in this character that, uh, is it the surfer who talks Irish? <laughs> no, it's the, um, the, the, the banyan tree. Oh, banyan. Yes, the Irish. banyan tree. Yeah. Why did you choose that? That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> Okay, well, I have question to the author. No, this is um, um, this is funny. There are a few times, there are a few places in the book that were hard to write, and the the part in the forest where Bharat, the bully, and young yogi end up being in detention, and their detention process has them, you know, in this banyan forest, um, and that formed because I was not only was I trying to, you know figure out what these sutras mean and then tell it in a story in a simple way that someone could understand but also that the order of the sutras were the structure of the story and I was also trying to tell a story that had drama and intrigue and yeah. uh, conflict and all the things you need for good storytelling so um, at that point in the book there was there were other versions that were just terrible. <laughs> so eventually the, the Banyan forest came to life and then O'Banyan came as the character to kind of, I don't know why he came, but yeah. he just, he came after all this struggle of like not being able to tell that part of the story in a way that was exciting. Mm. And um, especially the Irish, the people I know from Ireland, they usually think that that part's very funny. Um, <laughs> Yes. Just because they relate to the 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 sayings and the, just the way the manner of the tree, mm. um, yeah. It was interesting to me because um, on 
a lot of people who get to know spirituality, they associate it either with Japan or with uh, India, you know? So then we start thinking, I mean, I've got asked, um, is your, you know, like when I was teaching more yoga, is your um, teacher from India? And then when you say he's not, you know, then suddenly he's not the right thing. So in, I found that interesting that you chose like something so wise and old to be Irish. <laughs> but there's such a history. I never thought of it that way in that way. Like, oh, it's um, it just happened. And it, it just yeah. ha it was one of those things that happened. But um, the book is a, like it's a strange universe. The young yogi world is this weird universe. And for me, it's like it has a lot of elements of India, but it's not India. It's, you know, they're talking trees and there's talking chickens. And hmm. um, I wanted, I specifically also wanted like the characters to not actually be kind of defined by color exactly like he's a white boy or do you know what I mean? I wanted there yeah. to be this universality of uh, understanding so that the characters weren't kind of in a way defined exactly like that's an Indian guy. Although there are definitely elements of, of that because I... I love India. I spent so much time there and, mm. and uh, the book is, is a reflection of, I think, things that I love, you know, and a lot of the characters were deliberate, um, you know, like the, the imaginations were an amalgamation of, of the Supremes and I kind of was thinking of the songs in Willy Wonka, you know, and yeah. I, I just thought, wow, and to have these kind of a million folded heads like the deities in India would be, it's great. I think that's I was just like, I loved creating that. I was so excited. <laughs> and yeah. and for Bharat was like uh, meant to be just a very small character. And he, he inserted himself through the story with his whole journey and transition. Mm -hmm. I didn't do that. I didn't plan that. You know, he was just supposed to be like the, the bully on the sidelines. I'm already hoping for more books, Sonia. <laughs> well, this is this is um, this is all of uh, Sadhana Pada, um, all the all the sutras written down with all the different translations. And this is how I start. This is how I started also with Young Yogi was like just synthesizing all the all the information first. Mm -hmm. So that's all in here. Mm -hmm. So I've been doing that and. Um, uh, you know, the seed, I'm planting the seeds. <laughs> Very good. Sowing the soil for, yeah. for Sadhana Pada. Let's greet Priya Brazil, be my guest. Yeah, when you, ha when you are a lover of food, as you are, you, know, you probably have to very much distinguish between when are you feeling very hospitable, do you say that in English, hospitable to yourself? Like hospitable. Uh, hospitable, thank you, <laughs> to yourself? Or when is it time to maybe have and develop a different relationship to your own food consuming? Is there something that has come forth in writing and, you know, this book and kind of looking deeper into the subject? I think we live in a time where food is really a sort of identifier for many people, the choices of what and how to eat. Um, are part of a statement of who you are and uh, mm. how you want to be seen in the world. Mm. So, um, I mean, in the book, I talk about the, the hashtag food porn and, you know, how it's one of the most popular trending things on Instagram. And then you have hashtag eat clean. And um, mm. there, there are all these other different ways in which I suppose we 
food can be a way to try and distinguish yourself. And I mean, I'm a vegetarian, um, kind of edging towards more being more vegan. And, um, and for me, that is part, that is a kind of ethical choice, um, mm -hmm. because of the way that, um, meat is, uh, and animals are, are treated and, and, and meat is manufactured. And mm -hmm. so, um, I think that there's definitely for me, this dimension to eating, but, it can also become quite oppressive and um, restrictive. And so um, there, there's such a joy in food and there's such a possibility for connection with others and such a possibility for discovery mm. of flavors and places and traditions. Mm. And so I wanted to write something that really celebrated that mm. um, and the possibilities it gives us to talk about bigger issues of how we live together and share um, while acknowledging that there is definitely a sense of um, responsibility in what you choose to do to eat and yeah. with whom and how yeah and and that I love about the book you know I love the celebrative part in a way that I have come from a yogic discipline where I often felt and heard conversations around food that were very constricted in a way like you know i'm you have to be vegan you have to be vegetarian as a yogi and then it's all people get so obsessed about like what's right and wrong so we're losing the connection to food and what it can do between you and me you know in this kind of sense of becoming a guest at somebody's house and you know finding common ground of you know likes and dislikes instead of becoming so um, almost like um, as if we're trying to have the right theory around everything, even around food. And I think that's not yogic at all. I mean, yogic to me, it means to respect food for what it is. So it needs to be celebrated in some form and that we, that we can engage with it. And I loved about it that you truly engage and are so, you know, so open um, hearted about your sharing about how you relate to food. You know, I, I think there's not many people who would say what you say in the book uh, about themselves. You know, I like to eat that and I need to have that. And I, that were the parts where my heart really kind of opened up <laughs> and uh, where I felt like, wow, there is a lot of guts behind what you're writing. You know, that it takes, uh, to me, it would take uh, tremendous, Mm, openness and clarity with myself to be able to write it and bring that forward to a broader audience. Did you feel the same about it? Like a self-revelation? Thank you very much for, for acknowledging that. I, I mean, I must say this book turned out to be a more personal book than I had thought it would be when I was writing. Mm -hmm. um, and it seemed to me that one way in which I could approach the difficult aspects of this book, which um, are really about how we want to and can live with each other, was also to, to um, be frank about my own doubts and struggles and greed. Um, because, you know, we, however much we might aspire mm. to being more ethical, responsible people, we're full of contradictions and full of weaknesses and flaws. Yeah. And I think for me, the I really have a lot of respect and admiration for people who are so consistent and who can be so kind of self-denying in many ways mm -hmm. and therefore live very 
sort of um, yeah upright lives. Mm -hmm. um, but that is not always possible for all of us. And I think sometimes people um, maybe don't want to do something because they can't. They think they can't do it completely. Whereas I think, you know, if you just stop eating meat, you only eat it a couple of times a week, that's, that's much better than, you know, thinking, oh, I have to be vegetarian. Yeah. It's just take the steps that are possible for you mm. at this particular moment. Mm. And, um, and also, I think that's a kind of generosity too, to recognize um, that we don't always get it right completely. And, um, mm. and to just sort of, encourage oneself and others in trying to find a way to make better choices hello to jessica sanders from australia love your body so through this um you mentioned this bit before body positive community i haven't come across it can you tell a little bit about what the work behind it hmm. yeah well body positive Body positivity has been around for quite a while and it was actually started by um, like lesbian women back in the day, fatter lesbian women and who were just like, you know, their bodies, their sexuality um, were radical. And so they kind of were like, we're going to just be positive about our body. And that in itself was a radical act. And so they kind of started this movement, which has gradually seeped into popular culture, which is pretty cool. Um, it has been taken sometimes a little bit differently than what it intended, but often it's not acknowledged the roots and where it came from. So, so it came from, but a lot of people are basically saying, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of the energy and time that was robbed from me. I've had enough of chasing a beauty ideal and I'm going to show my body in its truth. And sometimes, you know, it might not necessarily mean that they love it all the time, but they are showing it and they're talking about it. And when I say they, it's usually someone who is an advocate or a, um, quote unquote influencer in online spaces mm. um, who is just talking about their experiences sharing with the community um, there's a lot of movement around health at every size which is stopping the discrimination of fat bodies you know often someone might come into a doctor's office and they're in a bigger body and instead of treating the symptoms they're treating the fatness because we have so ingrained that that equals they're in poor health and then they might have cancer or they might have something else going on that actually becomes undetected. Yeah. Um, so it's stopping, you know, there's a lot of fat phobia in our culture um, and yeah. body positivity is also combating that. Mm. Um, and this idea of treating everyone as equal, you know, we're in a Black Lives Matter movements and Black Lives Matter, we're talking about that. But often um, people who are in bigger bodies can be really discriminated, maybe not in the life-threatening way of police, but they can be discriminated in all kinds of awful ways. And on a day-to-day -day basis, if you follow some of these women in bigger bodies, they'll share with you the abuse that they receive, you know, yeah. on a daily, weekly basis. It's disgusting yeah. and horrible. And, um, you know, we know that shame doesn't work. Mm. So when people say, oh, I'm saying this because well, I want you to be healthier, it's like shame could be, potentially the most damaging thing to someone mm. that there is. So mm. yeah, in broad terms, that's kind of the body positive movement. And there's a lot of people in online spaces advocating and talking about this stuff. And they probably sit on a spectrum as in with any movement. Um, but it's been personally really helpful uh, for me. I don't think that my work is necessarily limited to just sort of body acceptance. I think it's acceptance of all kinds and promoting kindness and self-care. And as you said, taking care of yourself so that you can be empathetic towards others. Um, you know, emotional resilience, all that kind of stuff is really important to me. So 
I, I did come out with a second book, um, which is only available in Australia at the moment, right. um, but it was called Me Time and it was kind of for, I guess, um, older, yeah, older, so maybe your teens to your adults around just um, really accessible ways that you can take care of yourself and some of the research and, and why that you should be doing that. Because for me, I'm a practical brain too, so it kind of helps to understand what this is doing for my body, for my mind, um, and it's all in time. So you can dip in, it's like one minute, five minute, 10 minutes that kind of stuff. So that's been really lovely to hear back people having that on their bedside and dipping in and feeling that I love the feedback I've been getting. And this is what I hoped is that it's um, every time they open it, they don't feel overwhelmed or that they're not doing good enough. They feel that they've done something just by doing something little and that they yeah. feel good about that, which I think is those stepping stones. Um, but in momentum, I've got something coming out in Australia in September that I'm really excited about. And it's basically I wrote this book because of the challenges that was facing girls and it was holding them back from achieving their full potential. And so I've written something for boys that I feel is holding them back from achieving their full potential. And it's basically yeah. a love your body boy version, but it's about, it's about self-love. It's about self-care. It's about emotional resilience, but it's also about redefining what it means to be male and what it means to be a boy, to be a man. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that is just trapping them in this tiny man box. Yes means that they're causing harm to themselves they're also in adulthood causing harm to others sometimes um and it's restricting them from being their true selves and i think that is just robbing it's just awful when you're robbed from that freedom to be yourself i think that is the greatest theft so um that's kind of what i'm working on for boys and it's called be your own man and i'm i'm i think that my amazing german publisher might bring it on into germany too we'll see how we go but um i hope they will um because they've just been amazing they're just the best publisher yeah. um yeah so that's kind of where i'm going and then i just think i'm already thinking up new ideas i want to want to provide you know appropriate informed positive sex education to teenagers yes. that would be really awesome because yes. that is just something that's missing from our curriculum and i think curriculums all over the world um, we're just moving through, you know, understanding our bodies more, like you were saying about puberty. Um, I just read a book called period power by Maisie Hill and it was amazing. And I just mm -hmm. learned things about my own body that I didn't know yeah. and learned about my cycle in a really empowering way. Um, in a way that makes me feel like it's not a burden or the worst thing to happen, but actually so natural and beautiful and I can work with it instead of against it. So more of that kind of stuff, I hope. Um, I'm just going to keep yeah. trying to be as intuitive as possible because um, that's, I think, when the best stuff happens. <laughs> Elise Collins, Super Ages. Yeah, and you you were mentioning that we are ready to um, discard old people because sometimes of their kind of strict worldview. I mean, we've probably all intersected with some elder people on the street and sometimes they seem so sweet and then they kind of unpack all their things <laughs> then the loveliness goes away but why did you come across your uh, in your research did you come across why do we do that is it like we are only interested in the new or um, why are we not seeing the wisdom in what they have to say? Do they not package that right? Package, how <laughs> that sounds. But do they not talk the right language um, for us? Or why is it that we have stopped the intersection with them? Yeah, well, good question. I don't know. I, I think it started with individualism. And um, 
especially the United States, is a very individualistic culture. So if we're only looking at what I call the form, you know, the form and the fire element, if we think of it all as fire and competition and just what we see on the surface, hmm. then yeah, you would think that older people are useless because the, it's all about your body and your body is falling apart. But as we know, as yoga teachers and yoga health coaches, there's more, but there's, there's this, what you want to call it spirit or essence, whatever your beliefs are, there's something inside you that is so much more than your physical body. So I think somehow when we disconnected from that, uh, we lost this this importance of growing older, because that is the Vata, the inspiration stage of life. Mm -hmm. And that's what I want to, I want to bring that back because I think we need it more than ever, especially Mm -hmm. in our country, in the United States, we're um, in a a very divisive time. And so I think that the wisdom of, of seeing the big picture of the Vata stage of life is much needed now and being vulnerable you know, Mm. being vulnerable because you are vulnerable. You need help when you're older. Yeah. People could take advantage of an older person because they, they maybe don't have as much physical strength or your mind gets a little slower. You can work to like, you can work to alleviate that or, or um, mitigate that. Mm. But um, yeah. Let's go back to the blue zones. You said there's five, and then you suddenly mentioned five places in Europe. You know, Sardinia, I used to live in Ireland. I was in Sardinia. So I'm familiar with all the places you mentioned in um, Europe. But what are what do, I, do you mean by zones? Now I'm losing a little bit the sight of um, how do we define blue zones? Yeah, well, they're environments and places where demograph- demographers could go and find a high number of people who are living and they could verify their birth certificates that were living over a hundred. The reason they call it blue zones is because literally the first demographer circled the area. And I think the first place was in Sardinia and they circled that area with a blue pen and said, this area is a blue zone. So then they just, it became a term, you know, blue zone. It became a thing. And what is so special about these areas? I mean, you said, okay, the the men in particular, they engage in physical activity, obviously. If they climb, they are out in nature, they're out in wind and weather, they're not interested in electronics as we are, you know, and they also stay away, obviously, from the beating of the daily onslaught of bad news like you know, newspapers and whatever we engage with. What else is characteristically for for the blue zone or is there anything else to it? Yeah, there's so many, there's so many uh, commonalities and then each one has a few unique things that are of interest. And I mentioned one of them, which is the men live longer in Sardinia. And so some of the commonalities are moving naturally. Nobody goes to the gym. and their eating habits are all a little different because of course that's based on your environment and as i mentioned before four of the places are traditional more more traditional cultures and they were geographically isolated so do you want me to name the the five please 
Okay, <laughs> let's see if I can do them. Sometimes I forget one. But there's Icaria in Greece, the Nicoya yeah. Peninsula, Costa Rica, and then there is uh, Sardinia, Okinawa, Japan, uh -huh. and then Loma Linda, California. And that's the, the exception. Loma Linda is where there's a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventist, and that's a religion, a Christian religion, but it's very interesting. They were always, uh, always very interested in health, and they formed a strong community. Mm -hmm. If you think of, uh, yeah, many Kellogg's cornflakes, which is a cereal. Now it's not really thought of as a health food, but when it started, that was kind of an unusual, uh, healthy breakfast back, back maybe a hundred years ago. And that brand was started by Seventh-day Adventist. So they were always trying to look for healthy ways of living and they self-isolated. And the reason I think that's interesting is because I think that shows us that in the modern era, we could, we could set up an environment that mm. would be like a blue zone. We don't necessarily have to geographically isolate ourselves, but we could set things up where we're supporting each other. And finally, Diana Shimon finding me and so when you write poems i remember my school po school poetry as well and i loved the poetry as well and i remember that i hated to have to analyze it you know to come down into the mechanics of and if you would ask me to write a poem i think that would be the part where i shy away will i be as blatant as just rhyme things that come a b a b you know in that kind of rhyme mechanism or will i just pretend it's a poem by writing a, a sentence with a lot of spaces so what would you how would you describe how these poems start poems start to flow through you I think this is exactly what you just explained right now was also what kept me from having the courage of starting to write. Yeah. Like just the fear of I could never be as good as X, Y, Z. Um, and um, how I write now or like within the last three years, um, I think, I mean, this book came to be, I was writing these poems in a time frame of three years never really having uh, in my mind that this will be something I want to publish. And I think this is how it worked because I never had the mm. pressure of it has to be good enough for someone else to enjoy. So um, I was just going along and writing and I can't really say how it happens because sometimes it's just a feeling that I have inside of me, like a, a, like a kind of a pressure feeling that where I'm feeling a little... I can't even put it into words what I'm feeling, but I'm not feeling very good, not positive in a way. It's just like a little um, limbo face situation. And um, this is when I know that I have to write and nothing is in my head. There are no words. There's nothing I think about I want to write about. I just sit down mm. and pretty much as soon as the, as the pen in my hand touches the paper, it starts. It just comes out. Um, mm. Then other times I have had maybe a conversation and I can't let that go because it just did something to me, positive or negative. It doesn't even matter. And um, then I 
sit down with the intention of trying to resolve this, I don't know, confusion in my head about that conversation. So then I kind of have mm. a topic, but still again, mm. it's not like really words in my head. And then sometimes I'm just walking around, around and then words just pop in my head. And then I need to find paper and pen quickly to not lose it again. Um, mm. So it, it's totally different. Um, sometimes it's really just for me to, to reflect and cope with something. And I just have to release that, that feeling that is stuck in myself sometimes it's really a topic or a thing that I want to write about and then I take that time mm. and um, yeah it happens also everywhere like I try to bring my notebook everywhere nowadays just because I know that the inspiration or that the inspiration can hit everywhere or that feeling coming up can hit everywhere so um, yeah it's, it's yeah difficult to say so do you believe writers are born or can writing be something that you you learn to do and get to flow in yourself you know get the flow of seeing words and hearing yourself through practice hmm. I think so yes I think um, as soon as there is the want of writing I hmm. think then you already are a born writer because hmm. if if something interests you then this is supposed to be a part of you in this lifetime mm. I really truly mm. believe that so even though you haven't written anything in I don't know 30 40 years and yeah. then that urge is just coming up because of maybe seeing someone else um, and writing yeah. or whatever it may be then it was all always I think in you mm. and um, so yeah, I think everyone can learn it to, and what I mean by that is just like learn to have the confidence of just doing it because I think we are all, we are all able to write because we are all kind of able to communicate. Yeah. And it's just when we start overthinking hmm. that it blocks us to actually yeah. do it and let it out and let it flow. But this could be a good point to, to read one of your poems to us would you care yeah. to I would love to okay so this is page 92 finding peace in the moment is a new favorite thing of mine it makes me feel more alive than anything else calm steady only my breathing and my heartbeat remind me of the physical shell I chose this time everything else floats and hovers around me and I can feel the energy flowing. Mm. I really like remember when I was writing this because that was um, definitely also how you just like said it really nicely right now, like um, just um, coming from healing. Um, that was really a moment where I realized how much of just listening to myself and my inner voice and the practice of meditation is really helping me to calm down and to be able to listen to what is really important inside mm. of myself um, and not be distracted by all of these thoughts and confusion in my head that is fueled by the fear. If you enjoy listening to my podcast, please consider to become a patron at patreon.com slash Alexandra Kreis and pledge your donation.